One Week Season. OWS fam, welcome back to the Reflection Pod. Here we are on the backside of week 10. The NFL season is cruising right along here. We are into double digits. We've got a Thanksgiving slate coming up pretty soon, uh, and even playoffs are on the horizon. So, yeah, kind of crazy that we are where we are at in the season, but As always, we are here to recap the week, talk about some football, talk about DFS specifically. This podcast is a space where we can become better, more profitable DFS players together. And guess what, guys? I need this podcast today. Why? Well, because I am going to use this as a little bit of self-reflection. Now, (laughs) yes, I do this every week. I talk through uh, kind of where I was at. I pick some strategy things out and we hopefully all get better together. However, this particular week, I am really going to treat as a self-reflection in terms of it's going to be less talking at you and more talking out loud at myself. <laughs> um, so, so we're going to be running through some things, but essentially this is going to be a look into how I would coach myself because I am in the need of some coaching. <laughs> uh, so with that, let's jump right in. We will get to our fluke or fail section where we talk about this week's highest point plays on DraftKings, uh, 30 plus point scores, and we will do a little bit of a lineup review right at the end. But before we jump into those things, we are going to start here with a little self-coaching session for yours truly, BFRITS12, because I'm your host, which I completely forgot to say at the beginning. Um, but yeah, throw this baby on 1.5 speed and let's get into it. I played sloppy DFS this week. I know before, you know, I I make a lot of tongue-in-cheek comments of, oh, I'm an idiot, I'm a donkey for doing this, or, uh, you know, didn't play Josh Jacobs, or this and that. But this week was truly uh, not great. So it's going to be a little bit of an honest assessment here. We're going to kind of walk through this together and I'm going to be talking through how I plan on bouncing back from this. So we're going to identify the problem areas, what went wrong and how I, BFRITS12, am planning on moving through this and becoming a better, more profitable DFS player. So this week was a truly bad week. Not because of results, but because of my process. 
as I mentioned, sloppy. That was the key word that really stuck out to me about my play this week. It's just, it really encapsulates everything. As I kind of thought about this, like I said, I actually didn't want to think too hard about this because I wanted this to be um, pretty in the moment here on this podcast. Um, But of course, naturally, I sat with it a little bit after this week and was just like, man, what what happened? How did I get to this place? And the thing that came to me as the, the high level here is that just like in life, being a good DFS player is more about being disciplined than it is about being smart. We succeed in DFS and in life by approaching things in a disciplined way. Now, it doesn't mean being rigid or hard on ourselves. I think a lot of people hear the word discipline and that's, you know, they think about the person that goes to the gym seven days a week and only eats healthy food, you know, never, never has a day off. Like, I'm just not the type of person that believes in that. I'm all about sustainability and you know, balance and and things like that are important, but discipline is something that really improves not only outcomes, but quality of life. And in this particular case, quality of DFS play. One other just kind of personal note here is that ironically, I'm I can be very disciplined at times. I'm, I'm very disciplined at certain things in my life. Um, for example, I've always been healthy in terms of like how I eat and healthy habits and stuff like that. Just it's always been relatively easy to me. Uh, I have a hard time uh, like understanding why people struggle with that. Um, ba- quick uh, fun fact for those of you that don't know my background, which is probably most of you, if not all of you, um, I was actually a personal trainer and uh, like health and fitness coach a handful of years ago. And I did that for a handful of years and I had my own business. And um, so I was, I was in that space. I did the thing and then I tried to help others do the thing. But for me, it always it, the, the discipline part of it always came easily. Now, that's one particular area of life. <laughs> in other ways, I'm not disciplined and it's hard for me to um, stick to certain things if if it doesn't feel productive, if it's not uh, fun was kind of the first word that came to mind, but that's not true. Uh, if there isn't an outcome or I can't enjoy the fruits of that discipline uh, relatively soon, I, I'm, I'm not the person that looks for short term uh, instant gratification type of stuff, but I like to be able to see that things are are moving ahead. And I think that's what myself and many of you want to see in your DFS play as well. And the point that I was going to get to there was this is actually what I would say is the reason that I am not an outstanding DFS player. I would categorize myself as a sharp DFS player for the most part, but one who often stumbles on his own feet. (laughs) Uh, 
self-imposed restraints. I have the tools to be a really, really good, really profitable DFS player. The tools are there. The discipline is the thing that I struggle with. That is the thing that I constantly trip over myself on. So let's take a look at this. Zooming back out a little bit, looking at this particular week, I guess I would technically be zooming in. Uh, how and why did this particular sloppy week happen? What can I do to bounce back from that? And kind of similarly, but also slightly differently, how do I mitigate that going forward? All right, so I did write down a couple bullets because I wanted to make sure that I didn't forget these. Like I said, I'm still going to riff a good amount here, um, but I, I did want to make sure I hit the things that kind of came to my mind when I was oh, sitting in a, a, a stupor last night. Now, a non-drunken one. It was, it was a sober stupor. Uh, but, but just sitting there like, what the fuck, man? Like, like how, how did I play this badly on this particular slate? Because as was talked about across OWS this week, yes, it was a weird slate, but usually as sharp DFS players, this is something that we can kind of tee up and get excited about. Even if it doesn't feel really, really cozy and, and warm, <laughs> Um, but for me this week, one of the things I, I noticed is, is just kind of a trend that I've had over the course of the past couple of years. I'd say when I've, when I started to get really serious about DFS, cause I've been playing four or six now. Um, but only the past three years, I would say were more relatively serious. And that's, I just, you know, I don't share numbers, but I am not, you know, I'm a pretty low stakes player. Um, but in when I, I say serious, I mean, in terms of the way that I'm approaching DFS instead of just kind of like entering contests because, you know, they have a high payout and, you know, all the kind of like relatively casual DFS play. So in the past couple of years, I've noticed that I tend to get this mid-season fatigue. And now this should not really be surprising to anyone, right? I think uh, JM hits on this just about every year, talks about that this is right around the time where people will start to tune out a little bit or people will start to, you know, have had uh, enough bad weeks in a row or they've finally kind of are... You know, they had the coins jingling at the, the bottom of their DFS bankroll piggy bank. Uh, and they are just starting to, as I did this week, lose focus a little bit. And, and again, I think this is actually when JM talked about this last year, because I think it was like right around Thanksgiving. Um, but for me, this has been a trend. And again, I think that just makes me human. Um, but as we talk about discipline and so kind of wanted to look at this further. And so what does that mean when I'm talking about midseason fatigue? Well, for one thing, I get lazy with bankroll. Talked about this last year. I'm not going to go into this too much today in terms of like bankroll specifically, but 
my bankroll management is just sloppy after the first handful of weeks of the year. How did this happen this year? Uh, Given that, (laughs) because this is very important to mention, given that this was specifically a goal that I had called out for myself this year was being disciplined about bankroll. And here we are in week 10 talking about how I'm not being disciplined with bankroll. Two main factors in this. I have not been tracking this consistently. This is something that I've always done poorly. uh, And there's simply no excuse for that with the tools that are out there. uh, Just in general, how easy it is to track on your, you know, you can do a very um, simple tracking. Uh, You know, I created a spreadsheet years ago that's nothing fancy whatsoever, um, but it was just to track buy-ins and winnings and all that. So that's an important thing. Uh, Have not been doing that consistently. The other piece is, and this is something that I really fall victim to, and, and again, something that I tried to be intentional about not doing this year, and I'm slipping on it, which is having a bit more to play with. So basically, uh, you know, I had the, the first few weeks of this year, three or four weeks were good. I had a handful of first place finishes, um, you know, I was profiting. So it was like a great start to the season. And because of that, you know, my bankroll bounced up a little bit. Um, just in general, the way that it, like I personally allocate DFS bankroll in my life, um, like small influxes into that like larger bankroll that I could pull from if I wanted to. And so those things essentially were an excuse for me to just go, eh, yeah, all right. I'm not going to really pay attention to how much I'm putting in on a weekly basis. I'm just going to just going to throw it in there. And um, uh, this is far and away, if you can't, if you can't tell by my tone, uh, far and away, the thing that I'm most disappointed about, because again, because this was like my core focus coming into this year. So yeah, you can bet that this will change a a good bit going forward. Um, going to get back on tracking and really just crunch the numbers again and look at what I should be doing on a regular basis. Now, I will also say that a, a piece of this that I've used as an excuse is that, as you guys know, if you've been listening this year, is that I've really gone away from um, playing main slate heavy and I pretty much spread evenly across slates or not so evenly based on what the slates are giving me. Again, a a kind of maxim that I'm using this year that's really been feeling good, which is simply meaning my my inputs, like slate dollar amount, um, all that stuff varies quite a bit based on how I feel about that particular slate and and how it sets up for myself as a player. 
And I've used that variability as an excuse to say, oh, well, this is, you know, I, I don't really, that's kind of hard to track, you know, huh? I don't know. And I just kind of avoided that conscious conversation with myself <laughs> uh, and just chalked it up to like, ah, oh, it's kind of hard to track anyways. Oh, yeah, it seems about right. And instead of being calculated about it, I've just kind of let that unravel me a bit. Now, I do think there is a... It's it's really hard to strike up this balance, I think. And again, this is specifically for myself, but I think in general as humans, I think it's really difficult to find the balance between structure and flow, rigidity and boundaries, and allowing yourself to kind of ebb and flow with what you're being handed, with what the slate is giving you, so to speak. And that more relaxed process for me, I'm kind of transitioning a little bit into the next piece of this. The more relaxed process for me in some ways has been good and in some ways has been bad. And so this feels kind of like a pivotal moment in really examining what those things are so that I can move forward from here in a way that is not just stuck in some middle place and not just accepting the good with the or the bad with the good, um, but not overcorrecting either, because I think that is a tendency that, you know, it's just very normal, very human, right, to overcorrect. So a more relaxed process for me has felt really good. Uh, if, again, if you hung out with me last year, you kind of saw me leaning into this a little bit and talking about that, especially after, um, you know, week, you know, middle of season week nine, when I hit this really rough point and just kind of took off all constraints on my play and just started having fun with it. And, that was really, really beneficial for me. And so I really wanted to take that into this year. And I've gotten to the point where uh, I've really embraced that. Now, as I said, both good and bad. What's been the good about it? The good is that I've been playing really loosely. I have been playing plays, creating lineups that... I wouldn't have done so in the past. I would have been too fearful. I would have let my logical brain step in and say, no, nah, that, that guy can't do it. Or this, you know, this game environment, that's not going to, that's not going to work like that. And those things are really, I, you know, I believe really beneficial to um, tournament play specifically, but just plus EV tournament play and profitable tournament play over time. So those pieces of it have been really great. What's not been so great is that I really haven't had much of a structure. I do have a rough weekly structure in terms of my process, and I more or less stick to that. But the pieces within that have been very, very loose. So essentially my first look during the week, that's the one thing that I stick to 
all the time because to me, it's actually my most important uh, piece of my process, which is on Wednesdays, I go through the games one by one and just do a high level of how I feel about it. And that usually turns out to be pretty accurate and how I should be building lineups, at least for myself. You know, it's not I'm not predicting what's happening in every game, but I am kind of laying out how I think the game sets up and how I might approach it again from a very high level. Um, but that ends up being pretty much my sharpest piece of self um, content that I do over throughout my process. So that sticks. But then I've really, really been fluctuating on the back half of the week, Friday, Saturday. Um, you know, Fridays have essentially turned into date night with the wife. And uh, we, we've got a handful more weeks here without a kiddo. Uh, so, you know, just really trying to take that quality time. And um, so that's that's what that has turned into for me. So that's shifted a little bit from years past where I was building more lineups on Friday nights. Um, and on Saturdays is really where I kind of get the bulk of my work in in terms of um, any final research done, consuming content and building lineups. And this is the part that's feeling a little suboptimal because as we'll get into here, uh, the way that I built lineups this week was just nah, like it just it wasn't sharp. It wasn't great. Um, and so that's one piece of it is uh, just the way that I'm approaching lineup construction is has been a little loosey goosey and has been again, been some good pieces of that, but been some bad. And then the other main piece of this that has really stuck out is that I'm consuming significantly less content than I have in the past. And I'm a huge proponent of a less is more approach when it comes to content. I think that as a general sweeping rule, this is true. I think that for the most part, the average DFS player consumes too much content. There is a lot of good stuff out there now and knowledge is power for sure, but it's very easy to overconsume, especially in this game that is part science, but also part art. And if you are always consuming and crunching numbers and integrating data, the you kind of shut off the art part of it a little bit. And I've talked about this in the past. James talked about this. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into that. But so this is something that I was really valuing this year was leaning into the art of DFS and letting go of a little bit of the science piece of it, so to speak, um, you know, using these terms metaphorically. And also, most specifically out of all of this is not consuming so that I could listen to my own intuition, my gut feelings, and not unfounded ones. We're not just pulling shit out of a hat. But, and I say this a lot, uh, JM says it all the time, anybody here at OWS, you know more than you think you know. 
you probably know more about football than you think you know, even if you aren't a football guy necessarily. But you also, I should say, or gal, um, but you also know just a lot about DFS and strategy and how to be a sharp DFS player. And so for me, this was because I had a handful of experiences last year where I just felt like I got pulled off of my conviction plays. And at the end of the day, that's never anybody else's fault. (laughs) That's always up to us to come off of our conviction plays uh, or just convictions in general, not necessarily just plays. Um, So this was something that I was really leaning into last year, and I feel like I've really been able to do that this year. And that feels really good. That particular piece of my play feels like I've I've really unlocked something for myself. The downside of this, however, <laughs> is that I have consumed less content and I've relied on my own thoughts, which is good to an extent. However, I have nothing there to push up against. I have nothing there to challenge my own views, or I should say significantly less, not nothing, but um, less there to challenge my views, less to make me think critically, less to make me question my own thoughts. All of these things are powerful tools for uh being to, to have a more holistic view of a given slate, a given weekend in NFL. So for like thinking about this, I think this is really rooted in two things, <laughs> two, one being uh, just generally, I am more busy in my life than I have been in the past. And I know that so many of you can relate to this, whether it's families, whether it's jobs. Um, for me, it's job. Uh, I was, I've been self-employed for almost the past decade and I got a full-time job earlier this year. And that has been, while it's been great and I do have some flexibility within that, I it's it's work. It is real work. Uh, I I work remotely, but I do my damn job, uh, and and I enjoy it, and I I spend a lot of time on it. So that has been a big shift for me. Whereas before, my schedule was you know I essentially made my own schedule. I had more free time. Um, the way that things were set up, and as I mentioned, uh, you know, wife and I are expecting, and so while there is no kid here yet. Uh, there's just been a lot of energy kind of going into that and going into cultivating our connection more and, you know, talking about it, watching all the things and setting up the nursery, all all the good stuff. Um, so that's been a piece of it for sure. But the other piece of this has been, if I'm being honest with myself, is a fear of being talked out of my own convictions and or can I stick to my conviction once I've consumed this other stuff? Once this other data, these other voices have come in because I do value 
you know, everybody at DFS because I, or excuse me, at OWS, um, because I really don't consume anything outside of OWS because why would you? Um, I really take everything that they say. So uh, like uh, they're just the sharpest minds in the game. So it's really hard when Hilo says something about this guy for me to not be like, oh shit, I wasn't even thinking about him. Why wasn't I thinking about him? Maybe I should be considering him. He is a good leverage play. Or X mentioned something in the Slate podcast about this, you know, this guy who's going to go a little bit lower owned than he probably should. Or, you know, whatever the case is, it's hard, right? These guys are as good as they are. And to not take what they're saying to and like put that in bake it into your your process uh would be it's kind of crazy right because they they just have so much goodness there and i think that for myself a big part of it is just fear of taking that in and letting that push some of my own convictions completely out of the way, maybe a little bit to the wayside, whatever the case is. And I've proven to myself in the past both ways. I've proven to myself that this is the case and that I can be influenced more than I would like to be. And I've done the opposite. I've I've shown to myself that I can stick with my convictions and regardless of results, I'm happy about it. So this kind of... Uh, little rabbit hole to say i'm sure i'm not the only one out there and again you can be on any piece you know any part of the spectrum right in terms of consuming a ton of content not consuming as much content as you used to you know wherever you're at whatever that looks like i'm guessing that for a lot of you this is either a struggle or a fear because of how sharp these guys are and because of the amount of trust or the lack of trust that you've built up in your own convictions. So for myself to, to bring this to a point, because this is, this is my time right now. This is my self-reflection for myself. I am going to be consuming more and I'm getting excited about that because at the end of the day, the content is fun, right? Like that's the best part of DFS outside of building lineups. Um, and so when I really sit back to think about it, um, there's there's a lot that I haven't been digging into this year. So I am excited to be checking more of that out, reading everybody's stuff and, um, you know, w- what I can at least with my schedule and things like that. And, you know, obviously all this is going to get knocked out as soon as the the kiddo comes along anyway, so (laughs) I can do all the planning I want. But um, but yeah, so that's kind of where I'm going with that Um, to kind of start to wrap this up a little bit. Some more specific things are I broke some of my own rules uh, this like specifically this last week in that. I feel that I didn't identify the best in game game environments. I did an okay job, but not a great job. 
And that is something that I'm disappointed about because we talked about that a few weeks ago. You know, it was probably like three weeks ago at this point. Um, the importance of game environments and how high scoring DFS players usually come from high scoring DFS games or, or NFL football games, I should say. What a novel concept. Uh, so yeah, just disappointing with myself because in hindsight this weekend, I was like, well, yeah, you know, especially like, like I said, with my first look, the way that I write that up, um, I sloppily did not, I just wasn't considering things really. I was, I was building just so loosely this week and, and that kind of led to, um, not identifying the best game environments. Another one was the Lions de- Lions defense is a cheat code. I mentioned this last week. Uh, and so to play guys against them, like that has been a rule of mine. Uh, rules and air quotes because rules are meant to be broken. So these are always relatively, uh, they're not fully rigid. But yeah, Lions defense is a cheat code. I didn't play my own Bears, um, Justin Fields, Cole Komet, all so many reasons to have played this offense. I did play David Montgomery because I was embracing a little bit more variance here and trying to capture some potential upside if it wasn't going Fields' way, which I thought was a very viable path here. Um by no means the most likely one, but but a viable path nonetheless, and, and a pretty solid leverage op, uh, opportunity. Which leads me to this kind of last piece of my self-assessment here, which is that I noticed, this is interesting to me, I noticed, and this is specific to the week, but in general, I am embracing more variance. Like I said, big picture, long term, I really like this. This is a, a really big step for me and feels like something that I've been really kind of chasing for a while now for the past couple of years and just trying to let go of certainty a little bit, trying to let go of that logical brain that always comes back in is like, no, you can't play that guy in this spot. And then he blows up and you're like, damn it. I, you know, my gut was telling me to play him um, or the research was leading me there or whatever it was. And so I do think that this is a really good thing, but I think that I have to be careful of how and where I'm playing like this. And what I mean is that if I wasn't playing Justin Fields in 100-person tourneys this past weekend, what was I actually doing, (laughs) right? Like, it just really doesn't make sense. Uh, And even if you want to play him and David Montgomery together, you know, talk to... I've talked um, all the time about, you know, if you're expecting a team to put up a ton of points, then, you know, playing their quarterback and the running back can be plus EV in this situation. Not so much um, because they are not positively correlated. This is a true like you're just hoping to grab any of any and all of the points from the team. 
um, which, you know, is arguably still not even fully true because Khalil Herbert is is there. But I felt pretty strongly that David Montgomery would be um, getting a bit more work and be uh, at least the, the goal line back. And if, you know, he could easily get two touchdowns here and that keeps Fields at two, it's, you know, so whatever, that whole thing. Um, point being, if I'm playing guys like Kenny Pickett, because I like Hilo, um, who talked about it on the slate, I was seeing that game and kind of salivating um, because I was like, I just really think that this Steelers um, Saints game has a chance to go way over what most people think. Uh, and you could stack up the Steelers for super cheap and fit in some higher price guys like the Dolphins receivers, um, you know, you know, pick your running back that you want to have as a higher price guy. And that's cool. But why for 100 person fields, right? Like it just it didn't really make sense to me. And like I said, I actually really like some of the lineups that I built, but they didn't quite fit the contests that I was entering. So going forward here, I'm going to continue this uh, personal DFS growth of embracing more variants and try entering some larger single field tourneys. I'm I'm thinking kind of between like in the thousands, basically. Um, I still want to keep it relatively small because I still at the end of the day, I'm still still have kind of the the single entry, small er field um, mindset and and building strategy. But I want to keep those two things separate, and I want to be intentional about how I do that. The opposite of sloppy. I want to build for a larger field. And maybe throw a couple lineups in doing that and then build for my small field. And really maybe, again, thinking out loud here, y'all, I'm kind of like the idea of maybe trying to narrow down to like one or two single entry, like like specifically small field rosters and then um, putting in a a few different lineups for larger fields because they're obviously you know you're embracing some more variance there so things have um could be breaking in in many different ways so yeah i'm kind of curious about that uh at the end of the day i still like i kind of like you know like the fair catch is is a good tourney that's like you know 12 bucks so it's like on the lower um, lower stakes side and they have the, like all sorts of those, right? I think they have like one that's like 4,900, um, one that's, I don't know, like twice that size. And then another, you know, two X, right. It's like 23,000 or whatever. So by the way, um, my biggest DFS win ever was a couple of years ago, um, in one of those, it was in the playoffs was it was it Chiefs? I should remember this game. I don't have a memory like, you know, Jam's got his like crazy photographic memory or whatever of <laughs> every football game ever played. Um, uh, it was Chiefs and I think it was Texans at the time. And so it was playoffs. And I uh, told, told Deller, 
fair catch, 23,000 people, and I got seventh place. And that was that was officially like when I got fully hooked. That was just like, oh shit, like I can do this. I can build in in a really sharp way. And so anyways, I mentioned that to say uh, maybe we can start to pull out some of those vibes again. Uh, so yeah, okay. Well, I hope this was interesting. Uh, <laughs> if nothing else, I thank you for for giving me the space. But really, truly, um, you know, of course, I benefit from this. But I'm really hoping that this is helpful to see how I work through what was a truly bad week. <laughs> raw process standpoint and uh yeah you know we're we're all human and that's something that i think is really important that's why i really love this platform that uh jam and the rest of ows has given me here and that's kind of what we enjoyed a lot last year was you know that's kind of my job here <laughs> with this pod is just being open and honest and uh real about how this stuff goes you know, we don't just like on Instagram, uh, we don't all have perfect weeks or perfect play styles or, um, you know, just straight up make dumb mistakes and things like that. So I hope this is valuable. Um, please let me know if there is any particular piece of this that you liked or if you like the format, um, etc. So thank you for that. Let's let's quickly jump into our more scheduled pieces here and uh, yeah, we'll head into our fluke or fail section. The purpose of this segment is to look at the highest scoring DFS players on DraftKings this week and just take a look at whether we failed because we didn't play them. Or if it was a bit fluky and we shouldn't get caught up in the results. This week, topping the charts is Mr. Justin Fields. Well, not a surprise to anybody here at OWS. I gave my rant on this last week as a Bears fan uh, and somebody who could tell the amount of raw talent this guy had, even though he wasn't being set up or put in a place to capitalize on that in the first few weeks of the season this year. Um, but yeah, you know, nothing really needs to be said here more than, uh, you know, this guy's ceiling. We've seen it. It's ridiculous being in the, mid, the low to mid 40s. Now, he's not going to break a 60 yard touchdown every week. I mean, holy shit. Wild, um, absolutely wild. But yeah, it is. And it's something to keep in mind and I don't think this is fluky, but I do think it's important that we keep in mind if he does not have that 60 yard touchdown, that significantly changes his score, right? Because um, that gets him over the 100 yard rushing bonus that gets him 60 yards, 60, you know, whatever it was, 67 uh, or I forget, mid 60s and then a touchdown. So we're looking at a 16, what is that? 16 point play there. So Otherwise, scoring a 27 and not that he, you know, all those points would be gone, but he, you know, closer to 30, say. Um, so just, again, 
This is always going to be within his range of outcomes, but now that he's done it back-to-back weeks, his price will likely shoot up this week. People are going to be all over him. Just something to keep in mind doesn't mean you need to be off of him. Just means understand that he has shown us his ceiling two weeks back-to-back. This is not going to be a weekly thing uh, necessarily. So... Next up, uh, with our, the second and uh, only two guys that scored over 40 points this week, C.D. Lamb with 41 points against Green Bay. Yeah, this was one of those games that the masses were waiting for out of C.D. Uh, yeah, a whopping 15 targets. He caught 11 of them, 150 yards, two touchdowns. This is C.D. Lamb's ceiling game, folks. Uh, yeah, hurts if you don't have him. It's one of those plays, you know, Jam had kind of harped on over the past handful of years about Keenan Allen. It's a very similar role. He's in a good offense. He's going to see a lot of looks. Uh, he's going to be trusted in the red zone. So all those are positives. But he's also not a guy that's going to break big plays, generally speaking, at least. Again, it's not like Keenan Allen has been a bad DFS play or doesn't have high scoring weeks, but CeeDee Lamb kind of fits in that um, mold. So not too surprising to see a spike week from him here or there. He's going to hit there. He's on a good team. He's got a good quarterback. He is a good player. Um, And it just happened to happen this week. Justin Jefferson with a 38.3. Yeah, I think this was actually a really sharp play. This was one that uh, this is actually one of the games that I had mentioned when I was I said that I didn't identify the best game environments. This one, you know, is clearly there, but I didn't think about it as much as I should have. And I, like probably most people, let some of the quarterback situation um, I think early in the week, that was like what led me to kind of just put it aside. The problem is I never came back to it. And I think based on the news early morning on Sunday and them not pulling up, um, I can't think of who it is. Like, you know, they didn't activate the, the, the third string guy. I think all the things really pointed to Allen playing and, and it really not being an issue, more of a playing through the pain type of thing. And therefore, this game set up really, really well. Um, And Justin Jefferson was just, you know, the lead of that. I think he was the, you know, Steph Diggs, arguably. But I think he was really the best play in this game. And just given, um, you know, how much they were likely to be throwing. And yeah, I mean, he just really hasn't had enough blow up games this year where people are playing him at the rate or, you know, having the ownership percentage that he should really warrant for his floor and ceiling. So not a surprise there. Yeah. Almost hit the 200 yard mark, Uh, big game on 16 targets from Justin Jefferson. Next place, we've got a Christian Watson at 35.7. Kind of crazy to see somebody on the Packers in general be up in this scoring range, but also against the Dallas defense, who is truly elite. Um, Now, I do think it's important to mention that Christian Watson got there on four catches, had three touchdowns, and just broke the 100-yard bonus. So um, keep all that in mind. 
this one feels a little bit more on the fluky side. Now, the thing is, when we talk about fluky, you can pretty much always make a case for how and why that happened. Um, but in this particular case, there was nothing really pointing to that. And it's not that he was a bad play by any means, especially at his price. Um, I think, you know, definitely there is some argument to be made to to go there. But yeah, it's a pretty massive score for a guy in his position. Patrick Mahomes, naturally. Uh, don't need to spend too much time here, probably. 35.14 points. Yeah, I mean, just uber efficiency per usual, over 300, four touchdowns. I feel like, you know, you can dial it up in most spots for him. Christian Kirk at 34.5. Another good week for Captain Kirk over here. Um 5,900 was his price, 12 targets, nine catches, 105 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, you know, this was a good spot for him at his price, just given that while he had a couple down weeks, uh, he, you know, was really the alpha coming into this season um, between preseason and early season usage. So for him to be at the, this price in a game environment where they were almost assuredly going to be um, chasing this one set up pretty well, and he capitalized on it. We've got two more here with Nick Westbrook-Akeen. And uh, yeah, really? A receiver from the Tennessee Titans breaking 30 points? By the way, sorry, 31.9 points. Um, Wild, right? This one is one of those ones that kind of sticks out, and you're like, yeah, I don't think so. Um, how crazy is this? So you got Christian Watson who scored 35.7 on a, what has been a bad green Bay offense this year against an elite Dallas defense, uh, at 3,700. And then you have NWI scoring over 30 points at 3,500 against the Denver defense, uh, I will say also that, you know, in this offense, they can pretty much never support that kind of uh, receiving score. And again, especially against Denver, it is also worth mentioning that uh, he got there on 119 yards and two touchdowns. One of his touchdowns was a 60 yarder. So definitely on the fluky side for NWI. Devonta Adams is the last one on the list here with a 30.6. Uh, yeah, Mr. Adams is is really kind of just rounding into where he was last year at Green Bay. I know they said that last week, too, when we talked about him. But yeah, another 14 targets, 126 yards and a touchdown. All right, that'll do it for our fluke or fail plays. Let's check out a lineup here before we call it quits for today. So Sean Hackbarth submitted this lineup and I really liked it at just like the first look that I took of it. So let's see what you think. We've got Tua Tagovailoa, Travis Etienne, Jamal Williams, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Harrison Bryant, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Colts defense. All right. Well, I think we can pretty easily pull out the foundation of this roster, which was Tua, Tyreek, Waddle, 
bringing it back with DPJ and Bryant at tight end. I love that backbone of a roster, and I'm pretty sure I use that myself <laughs> on uh, one of my lineups somewhere. Um, it was like a smaller dollar. It wasn't like one of my main lineups, but I think this is a sh- super sharp combo because you are getting this block that we've talked about week in and week out now for um, the last quarter of the season that these guys provide just from a floor and ceiling standpoint against what has been a pretty bad Cleveland pass defense. Now, they actually combined for one of their, and I didn't do the calculation on this, but probably their lowest output as a block this season. Um, coming Because Tua had 23.4, Tyree Kill 15.4, Jalen Waddle, 10.6. The fact that Tyreek and Waddle combined for exactly 26 points is pretty wild. And that it's in itself is uh, that's variance and that's fluky, especially against a, a lesser team. Um, that's not going to happen often. So. Yeah, just kind of got the short end of the stick there. Tua threw touchdowns um, to Sherfield and who else? Um, he got somebody else on there too. Oh, Alec Ingold. And then we had Mostert running, running, and then Jeff Wilson running one in. So just, uh, yeah, kind of a, a smattering of scoring there. But if somebody were to tell you that the Dolphins were going to score 39 points. I bet you would have paid up for the block of Tua, Hill, and Waddle. I know I would have. So didn't get there with that. Uh, but yeah, like I said, sharp stack. We talked about that. And then bring it back with DPJ and Hunt, uh, Hunter Bryant, Harrison Bryant. Um, those two guys, I think, was really sharp and, and really kind of... Uh, put you on pace at least with their scores. They weren't massive by any means, um, but because they were a very cheap combo, because they were not Amari Cooper, who, you know, is projected to be popular, those two guys provided you a really solid amount of floor and ceiling price considered, of course. Um, So I like that combo, bringing it back there. And then you can fit in just some solid plays in the other spots. So Etienne, yeah, that one's kind of obvious. Talked about that. Um, Jamel Williams, I think was one of those plays where, uh, you know, Swift just hasn't had the same role in that offense. This setup is a good back and forth game. Uh, Williams has had a bit of a, uh, like a goal line role. And again, if somebody told you that the Lions were going to score 31 points, would you have considered Jamal Williams? Probably. Uh, and then in the flex, Marquez Valdez Scantling finally got there. And by got there, you know, kind of in air quotes there because he still only scored 15 points, but he did fall into the end zone. Um, yeah, one of my favorite players to target in the early part of this year that just has not worked out. Um, but yeah, worked for kind of that that piece there. And then Colts defense, which is probably just trying to fit in the best possible at the lower end. So this lineup ended up with a 115, ended up out of the money. 
hurts. But when we're talking about building plus EV rosters and setting ourselves up for success, um, I think this roster is is really solid and it's very clear how Sean Heckbarth set this up and where he was going with it and what story he was telling. I should also mention that this was a roster for large field three max. And with that considered, um, yeah, I think it's still pretty solid. I've said before, um, you got to take my answers with, or my assessment, I should say. They're definitely not answers. Uh, my assessment with a grain of salt because I am not uh, the the large field guru by any means. Uh, but I think with the stack, you know, you played a couple popular guys here, but with the stack, uh, with DPJ and uh, <laughs> Harrison Bryant coming back, think there was enough differentiated. Um, there were not the, like Jamal Williams, I think was uh, a really solid, you know, you weren't just differentiating a running back just to differentiate. There was some solid process behind that. I think there is uh, a plus EV nature to, to this lineup in a large field. Good stuff, man. Uh, bring it back next week and let's get him. With that, thank you all for spending this time. Much appreciated per usual. Um, But just like Sean and just like myself, we're getting back on the horse. We're getting back at it. And we will see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend.